You're listening to the River City Church Podcast. Our desire is that you know Jesus, experience freedom, find community, and discover purpose. For more information, check us out on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co. Here's the message. Today we're wrapping up our series, Heart and Soul, Heart and Soul. And uh, we've been going through the series looking at, uh, really focusing, of course, upon the heart and upon issues of the heart. We started the very first week in uh, November talking about the importance of guarding your heart and being careful what grows there, uh, what is allowed to grow and how we sow the right thing into our heart with God's word, with the truth of God. Uh, we also looked at week two, the importance of being wholehearted after, after Jesus, living all in for God and what that looks like. Last week, we talked about worship and uh, and the art of worship, the importance of worship uh, and, and what that means And as we respond to the to who God is and what he's done in our lives. And, and that's, that's so important. Worship is not just the songs we sing at the beginning of a service, it's our heart poured out for Jesus uh, in response to him. And uh, today, we're gonna talk about enlarging our heart, enlarging your heart. And we're gonna look at a few things related to, and, and it, I just feel like this is appropriate for this season as we're, of course, in Thanksgiving weekend, but also getting ready into a season of, of gift giving and Christmas. And we celebrate the greatest gift that heaven ever, ever gave in the person and work of Jesus uh, for us. And, and uh, of course, in that, you know, even people who don't know God uh, are moved with generosity in this season. And so uh, we want to know the heart behind that also, but also how to grow in our own lives. Uh, let's look at this to start. John chapter 10, verse 10. And uh, we're going to spend more time in this chapter at the end, but I want us to start in verse 10 in the Amplified Bible, here's what it says. The thief comes only in order to steal, kill, and destroy. The thief comes. Now, now, generally, myself included, we preach this in the context of the enemy, Satan, the devil is the thief, and, and that's true, but there's actually a lot of thieves in our lives. There's a lot of things that come to steal, kill, and destroy. They destroy our peace. They rob us of our joy. They, they poison our heart. There, there's lots of things that can affect us, and ultimately, uh, that, that don't come from God, that come to do these three things, to steal, kill, and destroy the purpose and life of God in us. And Jesus said, says this very simply, and I think this is important for all of us to get. Jesus said, I came for this reason, that they may have life. And I like the way the Amplified Bible adds to this or, or, or brings it out. Uh, it says that they may have life and enjoy life. Uh, do you realize as a believer in Jesus, you can actually enjoy your life? Come on. You can enjoy the life that God's given you. You can celebrate the life's given you. In fact, you're created to enjoy it. Uh, you were created to enjoy the good things that God's provided for you. And he not only says that, but have it in abundance, have that life in abundance to the full until it overflows. So I just love that picture that God wants us to have and experience his life. That word life there is a Greek word zoe, which means the life of God. It's the blessed life. It's a fully satisfied life. It's a life that's indwelt by the presence of God. It's, it's, it's more than just surviving. It's more than just existing. I know most people live their lives just marking off. They, they measure time and dates on a calendar instead of moments of full and, and rich life with God. But God wants us to experience the fullness of the life that Jesus came to give us, paid a price on the cross to give us, which ultimately finds its culmination in heaven, but also is an experience of relationship with God right here on earth, that God wants you to experience and know him. 
and live a full. I just believe that we have a choice. We can live a full life or an empty life. We can live a full life with the rich things that God has provided for us. You know, heaven's provided for you joy. I don't know where we got this idea that being a Christian means you're supposed to be miserable all the time. That we think the greatest witness is we're gonna knock on doors and have a sour face. You know, listen, God wants you to bring joy. You should be the biggest spreader of joy in North Iowa. That as a believer in Jesus, we've been saved, we've been set free. Happiness is based on circumstances. Everybody likes you, everything's going right. Uh, The price of gas is good. How many of you know that's, listen, if you're waiting for everything in your life to line up, you'll never be happy. If, If this just happened, then I'll be happy. If I just got that raise, I'd be happy. If I just had that relationship, then I'd be happy. If you're waiting for something to happen for you to be happy, you'll miss it. But if you recognize that heaven's provided joy that the world cannot give and it cannot take. Now, thieves can rob it. We can surrender it to to all kinds of things that the enemy brings to rob us of our joy, rob us of our peace, rob us of our hope. But we should be people who are living a full overflowing life. In fact, that's why I love this picture because what your heart is filled with will overflow from it. It's just true. If your life is filled with anger, anger is going to overflow. If your life is filled with bitterness, bitterness will overflow. If you're filled with joy, joy will be contagious. Joy will overflow. You won't have to work it up. If you're filled with peace, peace will be what you give away. When everybody, listen, there is a shortage of peace in the world. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that people are not getting happier, they're getting angrier? We have more conveniences than ever before, but we're not more happy. We have more stuff than ever before, but we're not more happy. We have all kinds of things. We're more connected to people uh, on social media, and maybe that's part of the problem. Uh, And yet we're not more fulfilled. We're not more aware of our identity in Christ. We're not more satisfied, and we're not more filled. He wants us to experience that Zoe filled, abundant, blessed, satisfied kind of life. You can have and enjoy life. Some exist, but others actually live the life I'm describing. And here's how I believe we do this. Three things very simply. Uh, The first one is this. We want to respond with gratitude. We want to respond to God with gratitude. And, uh, and, and I, if you've been here any length of time, I've in 18 years, I don't think I've ever preached a gratitude message on Thanksgiving weekend, uh, not just because, because I typically, you know, am not going to go, hey, this is the holiday, this is what we're supposed to talk about. But I just believe that when we talk about the idea of heart and soul, that you cannot leave out the importance of thankfulness and gratitude in our lives. You can't leave out the importance of being grateful for what God has done. I love this story in the New Testament, Luke chapter 17, verse 11. Now it happened as he went to Jerusalem that Jesus passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee and he entered a certain village there. And there met him 10 men who were lepers who stood afar off. Leprosy, one of the most uh, repeatedly mentioned afflictions and problems th- from Old and New Testament because it was, it was so serious because not only was it a physical infirmity, but it caused effects in every area of their life. It was something that touched. Anybody who's ever dealt with something long-term, a long-term illness knows that it doesn't just affect your physical body. It affects your emotional life. You become worn out. It affects your financial life as you're paying bills and, and it affects every, well, for them, 
It was, it created complete and total isolation. They were spiritually separate. They were religiously separate. They were socially separate. They could not be a part of the community because of leprosy. They were, if anybody even touched what a leper touched, you became unclean. And and you see this, that leprosy became the thing that, that you had to stay away from because it could contaminate or affect you. But what I love about Jesus is Jesus shows up and doesn't avoid the lepers. He goes to the lepers. In fact, not only that, but there's other occurrences. One leper came to him in Matthew chapter eight and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And he didn't just say I'm willing, he did, but then he laid hands on him. Throughout the New Testament, Jesus would place a hand on them because in the Old Testament, if you touch what was unclean, it made you unclean. But Jesus comes and he touches what's unclean and makes it clean. Because Jesus encountered them and anybody who's ever encountered Jesus for real is never left the same, is transformed and made better. And these lepers had physical, social, emotional, even financial and spiritual separation and distance and they stood afar off. There's 10 of them. Jesus comes to them and it says they lifted up their voices and they said, Jesus, have master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests usually at the end, after you were cleansed of leprosy or had no longer any symptoms of that, you had to present yourself to the priest in the temple in Jerusalem for them to certify and recognize officially that you were clean. But here's, here's what Jesus does. While they're still dealing with this, he says, go, go, go show them, go show yourself to the priest. And as they went, watch what it says, they were healed. Some things happen in the moment and some things happen as we respond to what he says to do. They were healed as they went. They didn't sit there and go, man, that was disappointing. All he said was go make an appointment with the priest. Jesus, if you're gonna heal me, you gotta do it this way. You ever tell God that? God's gonna do something, he's gonna do it, you know, X, Y, Z, here's the steps, here's the program, here's the method you're gonna use. And sometimes he just responds with a word. And in the word and in obedience to what he said to do, the miracle happens. And in response to what he said, because faith is activated by action. Faith is not just what I believe about God, it's my response to what I believe about God. And so they go, and as they went, they were cleansed, they were healed. In other words, the, the leprosy itself is gone. No more. And one of them, verse 15, when he saw that he was healed, he recognizes, oh, I'm healed, I'm, I'm, all, I'm all better. And he does something that the other, the rest of the 10, the other nine, don't do. He turns back and goes back to Jesus. He doesn't even make it to the priest. He stops on the way, turns back, and he returns, and watch what he says. He, with a loud voice, glorified God. I, I wish you would just be quieter in church. Oh, you, you know, but you don't understand what he did for me. You weren't there when I was lost and he found me. You weren't there when I was broken and he healed me. You weren't there when, when I was separated and now the thing that's affected me in my entire life is gone in a moment. He runs back to Jesus and cries out with a loud voice. He fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And not only that, but it says he was a Samaritan. He wasn't one of the Jews. In fact, he was 
considered rejected as a Samaritan by the Jewish culture. They were, they, they kind of had a, enough uh, uh, of the Jewish worship, but enough of the Gentile worship to be considered mixture for, so they were the outsiders. And yet this outsider does what no one else does. He comes back. The other nine were healed, but watch what this one does. He comes back and recognizes the source of his healing. He comes back to Jesus. Jesus answered and said, wasn't there 10 of you? <laughs> Wait a minute, I, th- I thought there were 10 that were kinds. Notice how Jesus recognizes those that were grateful and those that weren't. And Jesus said, weren't there 10 that were cleansed? Where are the other nine? Were there not any who found, any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. King James says, made you whole. See, see the 10 experienced the removal of leprosy. But this one who was grateful experienced wholeness. See, see, it's one thing to have the, the 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 it's one thing to have the bad stuff removed, but but thankfulness and gratitude and recognizing that and coming to Jesus because it's in coming to Jesus that our lives are not just where He removes the bad thing, but He adds something to us. See, in leprosy, they would often lose parts of their body and fingers and toes and, and even arms and limbs. And, 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 and as a result of that, they were no longer whole, but Jesus comes and makes him whole. He doesn't just remove the wrong thing. He makes him whole. Jesus wants us to not only live, r- remove fear from our lives, but to live in faith. He makes us whole. He takes what the world breaks. He takes what sin has tarnished. He takes what our own failures have messed up. And then he comes and he not only helps remove the effects of that, but he makes us whole. Isn't he good? And it's actually, I believe, a key here that it's in gratitude. It's in responding to God with gratitude that we actually find wholeness. You know, I wonder if the other nine were just too busy. I wonder what they had going on that was more important than going back to Jesus. And I think it comes, it speaks to the issue at the core of us many times is that we want relief from a problem, but what God's after is actually relationship. He's after, if you haven't caught that through the series, he's after our heart. Because if he has our heart, he has everything else. If he has our heart, he can do something great with our lives. He can do anything with our lives. He can, he can turn the world upside down. He can save our family. He can heal our marriage. It, it all starts with the heart. But maybe the nine were too busy. They wanted relief and removal of the leprosy. They cried out to Jesus, but then only one came back. See, God wants to not only heal us and, and free us, but he wants to save us. And that's what he's after and make us whole. Do you know gratitude actually enlarges our heart? I'm I'm convicted by this idea because I think of how many times I'm asking instead of thinking. How many times I'm asking God for more tomorrow instead of thanking him for what he's already given. And, And I think that's just true in a lot of our lives. We're looking forward to something and that's good. And we're gonna talk about that. But, 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 but I want you to catch this because if we're, if we're grateful for what he's given us, we'll recognize and appreciate what's coming when it arrives. Uh, there's, there's three gratitude killers. If I could touch on those for just a moment, if you're taking notes, there's three gratitude killers. The first one's entitlement. Entitlement says, I'm owed this. It's what keeps us from gratitude. I'm owed this. I deserve this. I wonder if that nine said that. 
Man, I got a, I got a rough life. I, 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 the cards that were dealt to me were horrible. And, and, you know, now finally the leprosy's gone. I'm owed this. But one of them recognized, wow, he, he, he healed me. He gave me what I never deserved. And, 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 and what he received caused him to worship, caused him to be thankful, caused him to run to the feet of Jesus, caused him to cry out with a loud voice where nobody had to tell him, okay, now it's time in the service where you lift your hands and now it's time where you clap and now it's... But he was worshiping because he was so thankful for what Jesus had done. He responded with gratitude. Psalm 77 verse 11 says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider all your works and meditate on all your mighty deeds. Your ways, God, are holy. What God is as great a God as ours. You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. In the New Testament, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, it says, rejoice always. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for, for you. So, so when we're grateful, when we remember what Jesus has done and we realize I didn't deserve this, but he freely gave it. We're grateful and entitlement ends the moment gratitude begins. Can I just tell you in our culture, we're raising a generation that's entitled instead of grateful. But before we point the finger at anybody else, let's recognize in our own lives, are we grateful? Or do we say, I'm owed this, I deserve this. This is what's my right and this is what's owed to me. And, and, and when we have a mindset like that, we're not grateful for what is in our life. And that brings us, I think, to the next gratitude killer and that's complaining. I know it's gonna be quiet for just a moment. I, I, it gets better, I promise. I'm writing a list for next year of, of things that I want to start doing, but I've also alongside of that started a list that's a not to do list. And one of the things on my not to do list is there's a couple of things in my life that I find myself by default complaining about. One of them might be my dog. No. But there's some stuff in your life, I wonder, I, I mean, in 18 years of being a pastor, there's just, it's just true, I've seen in human nature that, that there's things we're praying for, and then once it comes into our life, we start complaining about it. We're complaining because we're single, and then we get married, and we're complaining about our spouse. None of you, people at second service. We're praying, God, give us a kid, God, I want a child, I want a baby, and then God gives us a baby, and we're complaining about diapers. I, I, I just have to say, I never prayed for that dog. But anyway. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, but, but there's just something about, you know, we're praying, God, give me a job. And then we get the job and we're complaining about the hours and the work and all. I wonder if we recognize what we've been given and we would not live with a complaining heart because here's what a complaining heart says. If I was in charge, I would do it differently. And I know we don't think we're complaining about God. We're thinking about we're complaining, well, it's the traffic and it's the people and it's the job and it's the boss and it's my spouse and it's the kids that won't listen and it's this and it's that. And, and, but instead, recognize that often we're actually really complaining against God. And it's hard to complain and be grateful at the same time. The third gratitude killer, I think, is what all of these lead to and it's bitterness. It's bitterness. It's when our heart gets to the place where now we're saying, I resent this. I resent what's in my life. I resent who's in my life. I resent them. I resent this thing. And we get to that place of bitterness. And I think that's a, it's a tough place to be 
because it begins to, as we shared a couple weeks ago, it begins to affect and poison other relationships and other things in our life. Bitterness is a place that we need to be free from. I, I came across this study recently and it said that uh, of people who were, they were in this study, they were forced to give positive thanks about stuff that they, 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 they didn't like. And so they were shown a bunch of pictures and, and whether they liked it or not, they were forced to say, I'm thankful. And they did this in the study. And then they were shown the same pictures. And all of a sudden, they, they, based on the survey, they had better responses to the things they had been thankful for than before. Because there's something in our lives that when we make a decision, sometimes we're changed, we, we change our actions by the way we think and we start thinking, well, I'm gonna be thankful, I'm gonna be grateful. But there's actually something true as well that when we make a decision that I'm gonna be thankful even when I don't feel like it. Even when I don't see it and I'm gonna give thanks. What did I read to you in 1 Thessalonians? This is the will of God in Christ Jesus. Well, I just wanna know what God's will is for my life. Well, well I, I think it starts there. Yes, God's gonna show you where to live and what to do and, and, and who to marry and those kinds of things that are obviously important questions, but it starts with the general will of God to say, here's God's will for my life. I'm gonna be thankful for what he's done. We respond with gratitude. We respond with gratitude. The good news is gratitude can shape and change your habits and change your life. It changes the way you view things. And in that study, here's what they found, and this is just true, you know, biblically as well, that, that, that people who respond and express gratitude have more hope, higher satisfaction, more optimism, they have a better outlook on life, fewer depression episodes, and greater stress recovery. Being thankful doesn't mean you don't deal with stuff. I know that's what some of you are thinking, is like, well, I'd be thankful if things were better, if things were easier. If that person in my life would stop being so difficult, maybe you saw them this week and had turkey dinner with them. Here's what Paul said, 2 Corinthians 4.8, we're hard pressed on every side. You ever feel like that? Like I'm just pressed in all around. Like I just can't get a break. He says, we're hard pressed on every side. And I know we deal with stuff. I know some stories of things some of you right here in this church are walking through right now that is very real and very challenging and very difficult. But I love what Paul says because what he was dealing with, his hard pressed was he would be put in prison. He would be beaten with rods. He would be shipwrecked and persecuted and abandoned and people would leave him. And, and all these things were happening. And he says, we're hard pressed on every side. Oh, but we're not crushed. Can we put that up? 2 Corinthians 4, 8, just so they see. Oh, yeah, it is up. I have a difference. So, so here's, we're perplexed. We're confused. We, we, we don't know what's, but we don't understand it all. Let me say it that way. We're not confused, but we're, we don't understand it all, but we're not in despair. Verse nine, we're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. In other words, we're never alone. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. And, and he tells us why he has that mindset why he has that heart and can overcome. And Paul was an overcomer, but here's what he said in verse 16. Therefore, we don't lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing. Yet the inward man is being renewed day by day for our light affliction. I mean, honestly, if I'm looking at what Paul dealt with, I'm not thinking it's very light. <laughs> it never feels light in the moment. But here's what he says. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. In other words, this thing that I'm dealing with today is actually producing something tomorrow. That God can take 
what, what, what the enemy meant for evil and turn it for good. Well, we don't look at the things which are seen. See, I think that's sometimes our problem. We, we can't have faith because we're looking at what we see, what we feel, what's going wrong, instead of the things which are not seen, which what's seen is temporary, but the, uh, the things which are not seen are what? Eternal. See, I can be grateful. I, I haven't arrived yet, but I can be grateful because I'm growing with him. Things, things aren't always easy, but I can be grateful because he's gonna lead us out. We, can over, we, we know that we will overcome with God growing us, God walking with us in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of challenges. You know, I, I've actually had seasons that in the moment I thought, I don't want this. But I look back and see what God did in the midst of that and how he healed and how he restored and how he, how he grew and how, how he shaped me into what God would create me, created and called me to be and all of that. And I look back at some of those seasons and honestly, I wouldn't change a thing. If, if I would change anything, I would probably try to encourage myself and be like, God's gonna bring you through. This thing you think is, says it's over is actually just, it's just a pause button. <laughs> it's just a hiccup along the road. It's not the end. And you can be grateful in the midst of this for who God is and that he will lead you through. So here's our, here's our challenge be grateful in the midst of sometimes adverse situations, but here's why, because he's always good, he's unchanging, and he's always faithful. Second way we grow our heart, enlarge our heart is this, we release generosity. So we respond with gratitude and we release generosity. I've never known somebody who is a generous person to not be a fulfilled person, to not be a joy-filled person. I have known the opposite that the, the more self-centered we can be, the less joy-filled we are. Because even though the idea is circle the wagons, uh, you know, that isolate myself, I, I'm gonna be happy if I take care of me and I focus on myself. But, and, and that's actually, we've actually made that a God in our culture. And, and I believe we need to rest and we need to prioritize what needs to happen. I can't be the, the father and husband I need to be if I don't take time to be alone with God and, and recreate and, and, and grow and rest. And, and I think that's all important, but we've taken it a step further and we've made us the center. And the problem is whenever we're at the center, we lose sight of what really matters. Uh, Jesus said this, and he's quoted by Paul in Acts 20, 35. You know this. In fact, people who don't know God quote this all the time around Christmas. They just don't know it came from Jesus. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said this, it is more blessed to give than to receive. It's more blessed to give than to receive. And that's more than money, church. In fact, it's not, because I, I know this is, this is what people sometimes think is, is, well, I can't be generous until. If we're not generous at the state of life we're in now, we won't be generous then. If, if I'm not, because generosity is not about a financial condition, it's a heart condition. It's a heart condition. Here's what the Bible says, Psalm 24:1, that the earth is the Lord's in all its fullness. Like God owns everything. And when I realize in my life, that actually takes the weight. There's some things that I was worried about over the years where I go, man, I feel the pressure of this. I feel the weight of this. And the reason I felt the weight is because I was owning what God actually owns. And when I know he owns it, he'll take care of it. 
And my responsibility is to do things in a God-honoring way because here's what, here's what I found. There's another psalm that says, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Have you ever been to that hill that says, you know, God and son's cattle? No, because he owns it all, but he entrusts it to us. And he calls us to be generous, generous with those in our lives. He calls us to sow, to plant, to to give, to be generous with those around us, to be generous to the world. He wants to give us a heart after him and for people. 2 Corinthians 9.10 says this, "Now now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you've sown. So there he was talking about the church had given uh, to to, to see uh, the ministry of Paul go forward and see the gospel preached and all of that. And we we today are benefiting from what Paul did that day. But here's what he says. He supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. So God gives us bread we need. He supplies what we need. But he also gives us seed, not to hoard, but to sow. What does that mean? It means I provide prepare, I give out, I sow, I plant seed and I have bread. You've got to know the difference. You've got to know what God's given you that's not for bread, but for seed. Any farmer in here knows that you don't eat all your seed. Are you with me? It's for planting. It's for preparing. It's for growing. It's for producing something down the road. Luke 16, Jesus said this, Luke 16, 10. I know this will be quiet for this part. Just a little bit. Jesus says this, whoever can be trusted with little, with very little, can also be trusted with much. And whoever's dishonest with very little will be dishonest with much. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth or money, I think New King James says mammon, who will trust you with true riches? But if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you'll love one and hate the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. And you're going to see the response from his crowd in just a moment. But I want you to catch this because I, I used to read this and think it was just going, okay, well, if I'm faithful with the little God's given me, then God can increase. And I believe that there's a principle of stewardship that anything in my life, my relationships, the people in my life, the finances, God, all of that, if I'm faithful with what God's given me, God can entrust me with more. And that's true because God doesn't make bad investments. But here's what I also know. The very little is the money. It's all little to God. He says, with, if, if, with what God's given us, we're entrusted with something. And our response is he can trust us with true riches, something that matters for eternity. And, and the Pharisees responded like this, because here's what I know. In, in, and I, you know, I very rarely talk about money in church by design. But the reason for the response, watch what happens. The Pharisees who heard this got, they sneered at Jesus. Why? Because they were lovers of money. I think it's the Pharisee in us that sneers at the idea of trusting God, putting God first and being generous with others, taking care. And, and here's what I, I challenge us to do. I, I think when we're, we're more like God when we're generous because God so loved the world that he what? He gave. And he gave what we could never pay back. Don't just be generous with those in your life that can pay back, that can, that can, that can be a future client or, or that can be somebody that, that adds something to your life. That's fine. But what if you gave to those that could never repay? What if you gave to those that could never pay back? What if you gave, Jesus said this way, give a cup of water in my name. 
See, as a church, we give. As a church, 10% of our, of our income goes to missions and outreach. And then the kingdom builders are above that. But, but I want you to catch this. The reason for that is we're, we're, we're wanting to see the good news of Jesus go out. And there's gonna be some of those projects that are meeting practical needs. But we don't wanna just meet practical needs apart from the good news of Jesus. Because I can, we can dig a well as a church. We can go paint a house. We can do all those things. We can even feed a person. But if we don't give them Jesus with that, listen, there's lots of people that have those needs taken care of by social service agencies. But the only thing that will save somebody for eternity is the gospel of Jesus. And so we want to do it in his name. We want to bless people in his name. I know we have people in here. We have businesses in here. We have people in here that are transforming our community by blessing people in Jesus' name. Enlarging our heart means having a heart for God, a heart for God's house. I, I, love, the, I love the church. I love to see people impact. In fact, in this room, there's people whose lives, families, marriages have been transformed by the good news of Jesus. Do you know what happens when you are generous and you give? It's not just about what we receive. It's actually making room for somebody else who's gonna have the same encounter from God. But here's the last one. We also need to be generous to the world. We need to reach the world for Jesus. I think one of the saddest things I've ever heard is that waitresses and, and waiters, uh, they get tipped less on Sunday. This is the church crowd. A couple of waiters and waiters, they're like, it's true. What if we, what, listen, come on church. What if we were known for our generosity? Here's what, here's what the Bible says, Proverbs eleven twenty four in the message, the world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. Uh, so, so we wanna be a people who are blessing others, who are giving others. Here's what, uh, I, I found this quote recently from David Green. He's the owner and CEO of, of Hobby Lobby. And they, live, they give 50%, great book you just wrote recently, give 50% of their profits to gospel preaching missions around the world. 50% of their profits. And, and here's what he said. When you invest in eternal things and give God control of your resources, he can do more with less. So good. All right. Uh, Here's the thing, because it's not just about, as I said, it's not just about money. What if we forgave generously? Uh, Okay. So, so in the, I I don't have this in my notes. I'm almost done. Jason, if you want to get ready, but, but here's, here's what I love. Right before Jesus met the 10 lepers, you know what it says in Luke? And I don't have this in my notes for him, but, but here's what, here's what Jesus tells his disciples. He says, if your brother sins against you, and comes to you, says, hey, I'm sorry, I, I sinned against you. You know what you're supposed to do? Forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in one day, you know what you're supposed to do? You can read it. It's in Luke 17, I think. He, he says, if he sins against you seven times, I mean, that's a rough day. Not seven, days, seven times a week or seven times a year, but seven times per day. Forgive him. forgive generously. Why? Because you and I have been forgiven so much. Do you know the disciples' response is probably what some of you are thinking right now. Here's how the disciples responded to Jesus when he said, forgive seven times a day. They go, Lord, increase our faith. (laughs) Do you know, Jesus raised the dead, sent his disciples out and said, I want you to pray for the sick. He actually told his disciples, he said, I'm sending you out. He started with the 12. And he said, heal the sick, Cleanse the leper, raise the dead, cast out demons, tell them the kingdom's come. He says, do all that. They didn't say, Lord, increase our faith. But Jesus said, go forgive somebody who's messed with you seven times a day. And they go, oh Lord, we don't have faith for that. 
Interesting. You know, we're swimming in oceans of the grace of God. And this is the third and final point today. So we need to receive his goodness. We need to receive his goodness. We, a full life, I believe, looks like this. Looks like responding to God with gratitude. It's impossible to live a grateful life and not be filled with joy. It's just true. The opposite, if I live my life complaining and worrying and stressing all the time, which is sometimes what the season actually becomes for many of us. We're thinking about what's not working, what we don't have and what we can't do and maybe who's not there anymore. But if we're grateful to God for what he has done for us and we start with the cross, we start with the good news of Jesus. He's paid the price and we're swimming in oceans of grace. And we can be generous in every way. We can, we can, in fact, I want to challenge us to invest our lives in others. Proverbs 11, 11 says this, that the blessing of the upright elevates or exalts the city. What if North Iowa, can I just be honest with you? I hear a lot of negative stuff people say all the time about our community. But what if the church began to bless the city? What if the church began to lift the city? Because we've been forgiven and we've been blessed and we've experienced the goodness of God. But here's where it has to start. You can't give away what you don't have. And we need to receive his goodness for ourselves. It's, I mean, it's just, it's really hard to forgive that person until you realize how much he's forgiven you. It's hard to be thankful when you don't remember and don't, or haven't experienced the grace of God for yourself. If we can go back to John 10, before we close, John 10, verse seven. So Jesus said, surely I tell you, I'm the door for the sheep leading to life. And all who came before me, they're false messiahs and self-appointed leaders. Those are thieves and robbers. The true sheep didn't hear them he says, I'm the door, and anyone who enters through me will be saved and live forever. And will go in and out freely and find pasture, spiritual security. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come that they may have and enjoy life and have it in abundance. Here's my question for you. Have you received the life that Jesus has for you? I'm asking you to stand to your feet. I want to pray with you today. And my message has been primarily for the church, God's people to recognize that we should live a life of thanksgiving and gratitude. We should reach and love the world and bless the, the world so they can hear the good news of Jesus. But it's also for all of us to say, have we responded to the grace of God ourselves? Have we received his goodness? I was thinking about this. My, my grandmother just last year, passed away, went to heaven to be with Jesus. And she's 89 years old. And over 20, I don't even know how many years, over 20 years before that, we had a Thanksgiving meal together that the doctors had said, this will be your last. She had stage four cancer. And they said, this will be your last Thanksgiving. And so we gathered as a family, we spent time but here's, here's, the, here's the short version of the story. But Jesus showed up 
and she was healed completely, completely. No cancer, stage four cancer, gone. Zero. Lived, come on, that's a reason to celebrate. Live not only to see her grandkids grow up, but some, a whole bunch of great grandkids. And I love that because I got to see the faithfulness of God, the goodness of God in her life. Do you know, I had a funny story with her when I was six years old. We, got, we, we went on a trip to, my parents took us and flew her to Hawaii. We got a, stayed at this hotel that had this big buffet. And my grandma was born during the Great Depression. And so her family grew up in a season that was extremely tough. And, and she she goes to this buffet, and I still remember this at six years old. A buffet has like an endless supply of food. Not really, but kind of. And she went down to the buffet, and she loaded. She had one of those big purses. And this is the hotel we're staying at, by the way. Food's paid for, provided for. All-you-can-eat buffet. And she, she gets her little plate. She eats her food. And then she loads her purse with what uh, oranges and any anything because in her she had been raised and had a, a a thought process that there wouldn't be enough and i just wonder how many times we're like that with god like like god can you forgive me do you have enough grace for just one more time god forgive me we we have that mindset instead of realizing we're in oceans of the goodness of God. Have you received that for yourself? And I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes and I want us to pray because I believe in here right now, God wants you to receive his goodness. It starts with a yes to Jesus. It starts with a yes to Jesus. We trust this message encourages you in faith and in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about River City Church, find us on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co. 